Hello, welcome to Watch Out a Movie Podcast. I'm Mitch and this is Harry. Yo. Today we're gonna definitively discuss our fart jokes funny. Harrison. <laughs> yes or no? Uh in context. <laughs> it depends. If it's yeah. Willem Dafoe, it works. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's that's the definitive answer, guys. Um if it's Willem Dafoe, it works. Thanks for tuning in this week. Um we'll see you next time. Uh when I can't think of something we can talk about next week that would be funnier. But um that's Thunderpants. it, that's all I got. Thunderpants. Is Thunderpants a good movie? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where did that come from? We talking about fart jerks. Yeah, well, actually, um, so I'm assuming you've re- uh, read the title of the episode by now. We're reviewing The Lighthouse, the 2019 movie that only just came out in Australia that I haven't shut up about for all of 2019. Yeah. So this movie, uh, much like A Lighthouse, was always in the distance, shining. Oh, that's we, good. Yeah, that's a good one. Poetic. And then we finally got to it. On the yeah. most, and we watched on the, oh, well, I've watched it on the most thematic day. Uh, we I saw it yesterday, and in Melbourne, we had very unseasonal, uh, bloody storms, like crazy oh, storms. Oh, yeah, we did. That was fucked. Out of it, nowhere. It hailed for like three minutes just before we went into the movie. Yeah, everyone still thinks Australia's on fire, but it's actually underwater now. Yeah. And also a little bit frozen. It, it's a bit wild. Um but so this the the weather was wild just before going into the movie and I was like, man, that's actually like immersive already. Yeah, that's good. I've that's the, actually I've got the proper weather for this movie. That's ideal. That's some like four D <laughs> meta experience yeah. immersion. Yeah. Anyways. Thanks, Mother so, Nature. <laughs> so this is the Sophomore effort by director Robert Eggers, whose previous movie The Witch spelt with two V's, like the Vivitch. I've never uh, ever heard it pronounced as the witch. Yes, everybody I know who talks about the witch refers to it as the, the Vivitch. Vivitch. And I like it. I think that was a very good movie. Yes, um, I really like it. I watched it recently in preparation for this. It's I should have movie. done that. Um, but yeah, uh, very... So, Robert Eggers, I listened to a little bit of a podcast featuring him. Very uh, legit art department kind of background and um, really kind of surprised everyone out of nowhere because The Witch was his first movie. Just Mm. really this authentic 1600s New England horror piece like centered in like fear of God kind of content about this family being haunted by potentially a witch question mark. You'll have to watch to find out. No, Um, no, not a witch. Of a witch. That's it. But yeah, it really quickly established Robert Eggers as this like outstanding newcomer director with a impeccable genre skill, unlike any I've seen in like quite a while. Agreed. It's one of the it's one of the strongest first movies that has come out recently. And yeah, and when the trailer for The Lighthouse dropped, I was immediately like, oh boy, oh baby, oh baby boy. <laughs> we're, we're in, we're in. This is the one. Um, I mean, and as soon as the cast was announced as well, you're just like, oh, it's yep, going to be good. Yep. Um, so this was my most anticipated movie of 2019. 
which it I saw in 2020. 2020 um, February. Yes. Um, stars Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. And um, no one else. In, no one else. Um, and the entire thing is shot legitimately. It's not like faked in post. They shot it actually in this like uh, that square aspect ratio, like the non widescreen mm-hmm. black and white cinema like cameras that they used. So it's like they didn't film this movie in color and then turn it in black and white. They mm-hmm. actually filmed it in black and white, which is pretty insane. I think the only the most advanced aspects they used on set were like the lights that they had to use to like fake daytime scenes, which they had like legit like modern day cinema lights. But besides that, it was like almost all like vintage, like film tech. That's real neat. It's definitely got that feel to it. Like it Mm. actually, uh, despite some of the scenes that they would never get away with in older film, this legitimately feels like a, uh, like a late seventies sort of even maybe sixties. No, it's too heavy for that. But like at that seventies era of like classic horror, Mm, it, no, it feels like a 50s horror movie. It feels like watching, like, old Twilight Zone. Hang on, just one sec. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Someone's mowing their goddamn lawn. At 8.30pm. What the fuck? Um, That's the real horror. <laughs> And we're back after a 20-minute hiatus from the lawnmower man. Yep. Um, <laughs> First major technical difficulties on a Watch Out Movie podcast. I know. My, na- my neighbor doing the lawn. I can't believe it. it finally happened. 11 episodes in. We had a good run. Um, all right. So let's talk about um, what actually this movie is about. Uh, that's probably a good idea. All right. So the lighthouse is set in 1800s, kind of New England. I think it's 1900s. 1900s or early 1900s, late 1800s, that kind of Some, area. Somewhere. Somewhere. That kind of area. Unimportant. Kind of like New Englandy, like Northeastern United States, Canada kind of ish space, um, which is prime lighthouse location. Um, but yeah, so pretty much the movie starts with a big boat showing up to this small island with a lighthouse and dropping off Robert Pattinson, who essentially goes in and two other old lighthouse dudes walk out as they go in where he meets up with Willem Dafoe, who's the lighthouse keeper. Does he come with him or? Yeah, both of them arrive on the island together. Okay. I forgot if he was there to begin with or not. Anyway, so those two rock up, other two leave. They don't talk or anything. And they just kind of like settle up in this cramped little shanty house kind of thing that's next to the lighthouse. And pretty much that's how it starts. Willem Dafoe, as I said before, plays the lighthouse keeper. He's been doing this for years and years and years and years and years. And he's used to it. He's the boss. Robert Pattinson is new. This is his first shift as like an assistant, I guess. And just um, immediately really. finds himself so he being bossed signs around. On. 
Yeah, they signed on as like a partnership initially. Yeah. But um, Willem Dafoe is like, ah, no, 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 no. I only get to tend the light. You do everything else. You get to do the shit. I get to do the good gig. Yes. And that already sets up an imbalance of um, in the power dynamic. Yeah. And uh, very quickly, Robert Pattinson does not adjust very well. Um, And to put it simply, uh, kind of slowly starts to lose his mind over the course of time, which Mm -hmm. I think is originally it's supposed to be like five weeks is how long the shift's supposed to be. Four weeks. But then... I don't know, it keeps, like, weather keeps delaying it, time gets hard to tell, like, you lose track of time, they lose track of time, and um, they kind of, by the end, it's like, who knows how long they were there, and... um, That's pretty much all you can really say. Yeah, oh, I guess you could say that... um, So, Robert Pattinson wants to check out the lighthouse and be a wiki... But, uh, yeah, Willem Dafoe, she's like, no, you are not allowed up there. That's my job. Don't go up there. You're not allowed to go up there. Instead, clean all the floors. Yes, do everything gross. Clean everything meticulously in this piece of shit house. And that's it. And, um, yeah. And so the movie pretty much just follows this dynamic between these two characters as it develops over this isolated stressful kind of sad and also mentally kind of unhinged uh period of time together it's almost like a character study between this but of this relationship between these two characters yeah um i'm not sure how much we can say before getting really into the spoilers Sure, um, but I but think this movie has a lot of appeal outside <clears throat> of it's just its narrative because it's presented in a really interesting way, which we did touch on before. Yes. I think a big feature and a big like drawing point is the fact that it is, like you said, in true black and white and in four by three aspect ratio. This is not just a gimmick. This Mm. completely enhances the movie. Yeah. It's like watching a photo book. And that's weird to say. It feels all the way it's framed, the way the cinematography has been like planned out. Every image is so striking and, and just... It looks like a photograph and that same quality of that old school film kind of camera. It feels like, like I remember being a kid and seeing photos of like lighthouses and stuff. Like a friend of mine's house just for some reason was full of all these lighthouse photos and it just looked exactly like this, which like must be how it was living on lighthouses. Just like one of the worst loneliest jobs you could get back in those days. Yeah. I couldn't help but keep thinking of that um, Simpsons episode where Homer is trying to find a soulmate and then he goes, the lighthouse keeper, the loneliest man <laughs> ever. And he goes to make a friend, but it's all run Aww. by a robot. Imagine that's what this movie was about. That'd be funny. And then the ship 
ship uh, like wrecks on shore and um, all the hot pants come out. <laughs> I miss the Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, so we really kind of to talk more about this movie, you'd really have to kind of get into that style and aesthetic. And as much as it'd be easy to kind of categorize this as a horror movie, it's yeah. also like, I'm also kind of confused about it. Like it, not so much horror, at least in the modern sense of horror, it's more styled after that weird fiction era of like early 1900s literature and comic books and stuff. Like you think of the works of like HP Lovecraft and Edgar Allan Poe and stuff. And I think that style not only like works aesthetically well for the time period, but that kind of filmmaking, that tone in filmmaking, I think is just undeniably the best way to kind of represent that kind of brand of horror as it would depicted in the literature of those authors. Um, it's a very abstract movie when it gets, when it gets down to it, the entire way it's directed and produced, I think there are just certain elements of this movie that you just, it wouldn't work if it wasn't done like this, like the whole abstract style just enhances the whole, like every aspect of the movie. And I'm not abstract in the sense that it's like a pure art film, but it more like touches on the abstract. I like there's a, I think it does abstract a lot better than some other quote unquote more pretentious movies do. Um, I think there's a real grounding to the abstract, right? Mm, um, yeah. It's never fully out of nowhere. It's you, except for maybe the earlier scenes when you don't understand necessarily the symbols you're seeing because it hasn't been revealed to you yet. Um, yes. But ultimately it always has some sort of understanding for the audience with it's been set up. And I think that what, what makes this movie really work and you've been able to follow it. I, I can't think of a good example off the top of my head, but you know, a lot of weird for weird sakes and like confusing for confusing sakes movies. Mm. This feel, uh, this gets a nice balance of the abstract and the grounded. Yes. This movie functionally is a very simple story. It's two men cool. stranded, two lighthouse keepers stranded on a rock. That's it. Like that's tensions build. That's the story. And yeah, it's, just the way it's paced and directed is just, it takes you on this roller coaster ride, but like, Personally, I do love abstract cinema, especially horror. Same, but, same. Uh, that being said, after Googling like abstract films, the list that came up, I found one single movie that I had not just seen, but heard of like entirely. Like it was a full list of movies that I was just like, I've never heard of these movies ever. So I understand now that abstract cinema is a very deep rabbit hole of which I think I'm barely versed. <laughs> but my experience with abstract is more in the like David Lynch pool, which is probably like baby tier entry level of abstract cinema. But uh, yeah, I love probably. it. But I, I love it. 
I love that style of weirdness. But there is a very fine balance in, I guess, what you, like what you could call interpretation cinema. Or like, surrealism. Or surrealism. Yeah, that's a better word. That's an, definitely an actual word. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like... I mean, I've made little short films in the past. I've seen a lot of short films that people I know have made, like people like amateurs and people practicing their skills and stuff. And it's a really fine art to write a mystery that leaves the leaves things up to interpretation because mm-hmm. I've seen so many people just bullshit it and just do random shit and hope it works and leave it up to you as kind of like a laziness factor. Like Yes it's actually quite easy to write an ambiguous, mysterious story that like doesn't make sense, but has all these vague clues because like I've done it in the past when I was younger, I've written these mystery scripts that have been like, Oh, but there's actually no definitive kind of resolution at all. Like, th- cause I didn't have anything in mind. I just wrote this weird roller coaster ride of bizarre events and left it up to you to decide how you feel about it, which is kind of lazy. Because even, I think, say you look at the works of David Lynch, and I think all of his movies have a definitive, there is a story there, as abstract as it's told and portrayed to you and as unclear as it seems, there is a distinct story there that he particularly will not tell you so that you can figure it out on your own, but it's definitely there. And it's Mm -hmm. this like through line through the whole mystery. You get the impression that he has a clear message himself yes. going in, whether this that's is communicated like- to you or not. This is a bit of a, a tangent, though, because I feel like Lighthouse, even though yeah. its messaging is a bit abstract, I think its story is not super abstract. But instead, it's more um, relying on... Un- unreliable narrators. We've got two characters yes. that are unreliable. We've got a potentially, we've got like, um, you know, hallucinations and psychosis. And we've also just got flat out lying. Um, yes. And it's hard to tell what is happening in, in a lot of the movie. It's hard to I have tell. my own interpretation that I think is what actually happened. But even like at work earlier this week, I was talking to one of the guys who I knew watched it and he told me what he thought happened in it. And it was a bit different than what I thought happened in it. Mm. And that, I guess, is the art of these movies. But, yes. But yeah. Um, so I guess, should we get, should we get into spoilers? I think we need to, we need to, but first a quick consensus. Would you recommend the white house to the people that haven't seen it yet? Um, yes. Would I Um, recommend white house? (laughs) Also fuck. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I said before, this was my most anticipated movie of 2019 Mm -hmm. and oh baby, I got everything that I wanted. Yeah. Like I had, just an absolute blast watching this movie. My only real criticism of the movie, and it is an actual criticism and not like a weird fake joke criticism, but a real one mm-hmm. is that towards the end, the pacing kind of has a bit of a tr- has a bit of a hits kind of a crescendo on point. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Hits kind of like hits this point and it just kind of sticks there for a while. 
Like yeah. the movie spends so long, like any good mystery, it starts real slow, really takes its time to establish the world and character by drip feeding us like small tidbits and occasionally disproportionately huge questionable tidbits of information which slowly come together in just enough manner to allow us to piece together what we think is going on, which is what I was just talking about with abstract movies. Um, it kind of hits a hitch in between the second and third act where it kind of it's slowly building up this tension between the characters, Robert Pattinson, like slowly losing his mind and then kind of hits a point and then just like sticks there for like 15, 20 minutes Mm-hmm. And while it's not like what happens isn't definitely isn't like filler or like fluffing or padding out the narrative. It just no. feels like they kind of like the whole movie was paced really well, but then they had to fit this part, this important 15 minute chunk in as well, but they couldn't figure out how to pace it in well. Yeah. And then the third act happens and it like it kicks back into gear. It's yeah, just this I- really weird, prolonged 15 minutes where it's just like, Come on, it's time for the third act to start now, please. But yeah. I, I actually that. felt that as well. It's interesting that you brought it up. There's definitely a moment where the progression kind of pause. pauses for a bit, even though stuff is happening. It kind of, in fact, some of it takes a step back a little bit. Mm, yeah, There's a that's moment true. you're like, oh, here's the third act's going to start. And then it's like, no, not quite yet. Yeah, I guess that I see what they're going for. They're trying to kind of do like a little bit of like an ebb and flow to make us like question what we think's happening. Like it does something kind of like it does something good for the sense of time, though. I think yes. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, there's there's something that's not as fun about that like little section. But I think yeah. that's a minor point in the grand scheme yeah. of things. The whole perception of time in this movie is a very good. Very good plot element, which we will get into, I guess, in when we go into spoilers. Um, but yeah, so one of my most anticipated movies of 2019 and is definitely like, definitely in my like best movies of the year list. Yep, same. Undeniably. It's, um, it's a home run, this one. Like, yep. It's, it's going to go down as a legitimate classic that's not going to get forgotten. Yes, I really hope so. Um, because it, it's up there with the best movies of the year, best movies of the freaking decade. Um, it's oh yeah, great. I can't wait to go and buy this uh, this mm. square aspect ratio black and white movie on Blu-ray. Yeah, I'll, I'll <laughs> own it in my collection as well. This is every such time a- there's a stormy night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lighthouse. It's such a it's such a cinema snob movie. So good. <laughs> that is yes. I mean, it is in black or white and in four three. Yeah. But somehow still stars Robert Patterson, you know. I mean, yep. that's what he is nowadays. But like I will say I did I was kind <laughs> of hoping this movie would go even weirder, like tantifiably weird like significantly, like for reals is weirder. I, I thought it was going to. Um, considering what happens in The Witch, I thought this was going to yeah. go more supernatural. Yes. Yeah, I did too. But I've also, like, I've actually read a bunch of H.P. Lovecraft shorts, which this is, like, the exact 
same tone as. Yes. Um, but this kind of sticks more into the psychological kind of train where H.P. Mm-hmm. Lovecraft stuff will always fucking dive off the supernatural deep end every single time. This kind mm. of is more restrained, which does work. I think it exceptionally works because there's oh, yeah, something, yeah. there's nothing quite like the flavor of horror this is mm. going for. Oh yeah, the, truly. Like I haven't seen anything like this. I think ever. There's, I think there's things similar, but there's something distinctly unique about it. Yes, this movie reminds me of the feeling I would get like in my stomach when I saw these elaborate dramatic paintings of like lighthouses and storms and like hearing these tales of like seafarers losing their mind and like all these tales that they came up with it about traveling the ocean, you know, like Mm. that weird mysterious kind of feeling. I don't know. Maybe I'm just scared of the sea. I think that's just me. (laughs) Do you think, one of the best elements of this movie visually, and I wanted to bring this up before, is like visually. the black and white. The visually, yeah, um, yeah. The, the the black and white makes the sea literally black. Oh, oh yeah. Oh Which, man, that's if this was in Ooh. color, the sea would always look pretty beautiful because it's yes. this blue or it's like a greeny. It has some sort of like beauty to it but in black and white it is black and scary what's what's insane and this is like a testament to how good the production effort was on this my friend was uh watching the behind the scenes making of the lighthouse and he was just completely like taken aback by the fact that the behind the scenes footage was all in color like he just (laughs) he just couldn't perceive it as that no. Because of how well the movie stylized itself aesthetically. And yeah. it's also fun to know that, like, they can't do, a, like, a widescreen colorized re-release of this because they literally shot it in 4x3 black and white. Mm. Oops. Oh, well, I guess the director's vision will have to stay intact. Yes. One thing, one thing, one thing else I'd like to touch on while we're talking about, you know, the pros of this movie. Um, I cannot, like, I can't talk enough. And I should have started with, I, like, I can't t- start talking about the positives of this movie without starting with Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. Like, yes. Regardless of all the aesthetics and artistic direction and choices, these performances would work in any format or cinematic medium. It's just like a pure masterclass. Like Willem Dafoe should have gotten an actor nomination oh, for yeah. this one. Like, but yeah, this movie could have been done, you know, without all the black and white, without all the crazy intense classic filmmaking. This could have been done just like a modern kind of cinematic, you know, color full widescreen kind of movie. And it still would have been outstanding with these two performances. Like, oh, taking absolutely. Lead. Absolutely. There's some, um this is the role Willem Dafoe was literally born to play. Because <laughs> oh, he's, he's perfect. He, he's incredible for this. I can't imagine anyone else doing this role. Um, oh, yeah. I was actually just thinking <sighs> that. It's, it's, we were saying similar things about Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems. Yeah. But just, I just couldn't see it. 
like I couldn't at all imagine another character playing another actor playing this character. Oh man. It, so um, and the monologues. It's just like an actor's dream. <laughs> this role. It's just so impeccable. The, the, only the, thing, like, the rants yeah. he goes on. Yeah, oh, the rants are like man. the highlights of the movie, and you just want him to do another one. Where he's oh, yeah, just like, I wish I could just get raw footage of him just talking in this voice that he puts on. <laughs> just just constantly while Robert Pattinson is just silently watching. So Willem Dafoe's performance at the start feels um, a little over the top and a little cartoony. But as the movie goes on, it, there's a reason for that. And it's very purposeful that it uh, feels that over the top. And yeah. the only problem I have with Ron Patterson in this role, and this is very minor, he's uh, a little too handsome for the role. Yeah, well, they, they make a... Willem Dafoe's character points out, like, what's a handsome yeah. boy like you doing? Like, they, yeah. they can't help... They have to reference the elephant in the room, which is the fact that Robert Pattinson is, like, ridiculously handsome. But they like, can't just let that go by as much as like a big mustache and like a grubby hat and like they make them all tired and dirty and slouchy. Like you still can't hide the fact that it's Robert Pattinson. And so it has to be brought up in the movie. Yeah. Which I is great. Like that. But there's like a couple scenes where he's like hanging out with a tank top and he's like, he's decent looking, you know? And it's like, he's like this one's for the Instagram. <laughs> but like it just kind of stands out in this movie because like fuck it is an ugly setting it's an ugly it's movie like so this is grimy a this is a gross movie that was like yeah. the first thing I said walking out of the cinema was like what a gross movie and I, <laughs> like not at all in the sense of the filmmaking like the movie is outstanding just the narrative itself so many gross scenes and moments and just the entire but, but situation not they're out. in but like not no, no, purposely no. like I don't know Ren and Stimpy for example it's not like all the time it's just this underlying like, this is, sense this of, is the world that they live in and it's yeah, gross it's an underlying sense of gross and disgusting and ill yep yep um, alright I think that's good enough uh, segues any to start talking about spoilers so uh, definitely go watch The Lighthouse. If it sounds like the kind of thing you're interested in, watch the Even trailer. Even if it's not, go watch Lighthouse. Watch the trailer and you'll, you'll get it. You'll see the trailer and you go, okay, mm. that looks yeah, cool. Yeah, the trailer is um, the trailer a really good indicator. But yeah, so Harrison, what, was the, what do you think The Lighthouse was about? So we're in spoiler town now? Yeah, go for it. Uh, uh, I think it's about Robert Patterson masturbating over mermaids. That's a part. <laughs> I just, wa I just wanted to weave that in somewhere because there's two scenes of full-on Robert Patterson masturbating to mermaids and I never thought I would see that in a movie. And like it. Yep. And, and it's not just a mermaid. It's like a mermaid statue, like a crude statue he found, like wedged into his bed. Um, before we started this podcast, one of the things I said to Harrison was that this is a very horny movie. 
<laughs> because it, it just, uh, one of the things I wrote down was this movie is almost like a narrative comprised, like a compilation of all these old sea tales, like strung together, like myths and legends of like sea madness, mermaids, desperate horniness, Poseidon, all tied into like this one small story about two men stranded at sea together. And sure. It's just, it just weaves all these elements and ideas that into this, into the minds of these characters. And you can like see why these fantasies and myths exist. Mm-hmm. And the mermaid represents that. It's like this desperate loneliness and craving for like, I don't know, women, but being stranded at sea, you know, they're like, think about all the homo. There's a bit of homoeroticism in this movie, particularly later as things start to get kind of unhinged. <laughs> yeah. Those and boys just get really, lit. Those boys get really fucked up. Cause like throughout the whole movie, and this is actually a factor with sailors. Why rum was such a thing was because they couldn't on the sea. Sailors can't like store just like barrels of water like plain water because it would like go off and like get tainted just by like mold and rot. And they figured out the way around that was to infuse it with alcohol, which preserved it. And so imagine sailing for like potentially like a year and all you had to drink was like rum to hydrate yourself, but you were also getting like fucking turnt at the same time. And that does happen in this movie too. Because partway through the movie, they run out of... Their uh, water source gets tainted. And then they just like, fuck it, we're drinking we're drinking uh, alcohol. And then they run out of alcohol. And they start brewing their own bootleg alcohol. And they just get fucking... Into, they just fucking lose it at that point. Where was I going with that? <laughs> um, so what I actually think the movie is mostly oh, about yeah, yeah. is... Um, Mostly superstition, I think, and how superstition is almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, yeah. Um, Because a lot of it has to do with, like, old sailor superstitions, which were very common because they loved their tall tales. They loved Mm. um, finding reasons for things. Um, Like, one of the movie is... It's unlucky to kill a seagull because they are the spirits of sailors from the past. So it's bad luck. Um, Things like that. And just how those sort of superstitions can become, yeah, like I said, self-fulfilling prophecies where it happens. Therefore, the later like events that happened are to blame like those superstitions like it's yeah i'm not explaining this very well it's almost like they were crutches that these sailors had to come up with to keep themselves sane yeah but it's also to like give reason for the randomness of the sea um well yeah that's that's exactly that's the same that's what i'm saying as well like they needed they needed something to justify the hell they were going through out at sea because being a sailor would fucking suck oh yeah being a lighthouse keeper would fucking suck oh yeah so lonely and isolated and the slightest thing going wrong could just doom you 
It's yeah, and, it's and that kind of happens in this movie when, like, the weather takes a turn after Robert Pattinson kills a seagull in a hilarious and, scene. Oh my, that scene! I immediately just watch like everyone in the audience just like shield their eyes because yeah, it's pretty <laughs> much a moment partway, probably like halfway through the movie, where Robert Pattinson's just fucking fed up. He's sick of it. And a seagull that's just been hassling him the whole time just gets One in his face. One day before he's about to be picked up f- yes. to go home. And he just fucking smashes the shit out of it. He just grabs it by the head and just wails it. And it's just this lump of meat and feathers just like fucking splattering all over the fucking wall. <laughs> and it's just so savage and ruthless. Then the next day, the weather takes a wicked turn and they get stuck in storm. And the ship yep. can't come get them. And things just really unhinge from there. And the sense of time goes out the window. They both can't keep track of how long they've been there. And just more of the same old lighthouse bullshit that Robert Pattinson hated to begin with. And they also run out of alcohol, like I was saying before. So it just things go bad. Yeah. It's... <laughs> It's interesting because, like, there's a lot to take away from this movie in terms of interpretation, like you were saying earlier, um, because Robert Patterson is, like, from nearly the start, is haunted by visions and, like, guilt. And um, so, like, the weird imagery happens, like, on his first night here. So there's there's this question of sanity from him. And Willem Dafoe's character... You get, you get a sense and it, a, a lot of it's really subtle and it's probably one of my favorite aspects of this movie is like he's just fucking with him mm. and you don't know at what level is Willem Dafoe just fucking with him and giving him false information to get a reaction out of him or is doing it because he's a compulsive liar or something really happened off screen and he's... Yeah. saying it it's- happened in a different way because the second night in, fer- in terms of our um, interpretation of the events of the storm, Willem Dafoe is like, no, that was weeks ago. Is and Robert Pattinson the- is like, what? And um- it, c- it could easily have just been Willem Dafoe just saying that. Yeah, like you mentioned before, um, the unreliable narration kind of aspect. And that's kind yeah. of twofold in this movie because there's the two, there's Robert Pattinson's character who's kind of like the viewer insert. Like he's like our, our entry point to the storyline. He's more of an everyman. He's more of a normal seeming guy. But as it goes on, we start to see him really start to just lose his mind and unhinge and get haunted by these images and so it becomes an element of like, oh, like he's kind of losing his mind. Like, I don't know if we can trust what this guy's seeing because the way the movie's like edited, there's these dream sequences that are like interwoven with like just regular scenes in the movie. And you don't realize it's a dream until like a certain point And then it like cuts back and it's like, oh shit. Like, can we trust what this character is seeing as our mm. like eyes as the viewer in the narrative? And then there's Willem Dafoe's character, like you just mentioned, who it just feels like he's lying all the time. Like he's definitely pulling the strings to, as like a boss, but also like, is he tricking him? Is he trying to play him? Is he a, just, 
there's a lot of scenes. There's a lot of scenes in this movie. Well, yes, there's a lot of good scenes (laughs) between them two, like having an argument or just a conversation where Willem Dafoe will throw out falsehoods or something controversial or something, and it will cut back to a reaction shot of him smiling to his reactions. Mm. So I feel like a big enjoyment of that character is just seeing other characters really other people really struggle and like just like twist their perceptions because that's what that revelation that it happened weeks ago that the boat never came because yes Robert Patterson is an unreliable narrator but it's it's such a weird scene because from our perspective it, it's just not how we saw it and it could just be Willem Dafoe just going, huh, let's see if he believes this, if he's gone that yeah. crazy. It's um, really, Robert but, Pattinson is just like the unreliable point perspective, like mm. legitimately due to mental health collapse. And Willem Dafoe is just like this lying puppet master. Or is he even lying? I don't know. But he's definitely. Well, he's lying about his leg. He's. It seems like there's a lot of scenes actually where he, yeah, he will tell a story and then like 30 minutes later in the movie, he'll tell another story that contradicts it. And we don't know if Robert Pattinson just saw it wrong because he's hallucinating or yeah, exactly. Willem Dafoe is just a, f- like a, f- just fucks her with people. Um, yeah. Because like a big point is that, you know, he's got a bust leg and that's why he can't do a lot of the manual labor. But um, I believe I'm not a hundred percent on this, but he changes legs in the movie of which one he limps oh, with and sometimes he doesn't limp at all um, i need to watch this movie again i don't i didn't pick this up a lot but a friend i saw it with said that they noticed that and i was like that piece of shit <laughs> that's a good touch that's so good and again is this like is that actually happening or is it just because of the perspective we're presented it in it absolutely Fuck. could be robert patterson's paranoia that he's lying to him because one of the first like big paranoia scenes is where he's like going up to the lighthouse. Cause he's like, why the fuck can I see the light? I want to see the light. And then it's implied from Robert Patterson's perspective that Willem Dafoe turned into a tentacle monster. Yes. Question mark. Slash is jacking <laughs> off. Yes. There's some of that weird in this movie. thing going on. So pretty much Robert Pattinson slowly becomes convinced that there's some kind of magical energy in the light. And that's why Willem Dafoe will not let him near it. But, and like, fuck. There was a a bit there where I was like, maybe that's why he's here. Like maybe he found out about this lighthouse and wants to see it. But I don't think that's actually like, I don't have much evidence to support that theory. But um, functionally, this movie is actually just like a really good psychological thriller. Yeah. Like a period piece psychological thriller, which is just so cool. In a small location, a small claustrophobic location that is only enhanced by its 4-3 aspect ratio. There's some moments where they're like like monologuing and this 4-3 really tight on them. And yeah. it's so claustrophobic. It Yeah, claustrophobia is a good word. There's really, 
the lack of this wide screen makes it feel so narrow and claustrophobic and tight. Like there's really no escape from mm-hmm. the fucking the ocean, the rocks, the seagulls, Willem Dafoe screaming at you, the people jacking off everywhere. Like <laughs> ma- no escape. And it's just so good. But um, it's incredible. It, another little, another little, little tangent I'll go on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I Hit just me. read this before I started, before uh, we started recording. Did you know that the titular lighthouse, it was in fact constructed for the movie and actually works as a fully functioning lighthouse that could shine up to 25 kilometers? That doesn't surprise me. It's a real oh, fucking cool. lighthouse. I think they actually shot it out on a fucking rock off like Nova Scotia way like where it yeah, would, it was, this kind of story would have been set and apparently it was, like it was fucking Canada, hell yeah. apparently it was hell to shoot because of that <laughs> and that <laughs> like you can feel it <laughs> but it's just like that is just my tangent to go off again about just the outstanding effort in artistic achievement and production that this movie is mm-hmm. I listened to I know I mentioned the A24 podcast when we talked about uncut gems, but there's literally two episodes of the A24 podcast. One is the Safdie brothers and the other is Robert Edgars with Ari Aster, who directed Hereditary and Midsommar. And he really goes into his own history. Like he's like I said before, he started working in art department before debuting with the witch as a director. But uh, he talks about how as a kid, he was obsessed with costumes and like authentic period details. Ever since he was like a little boy, he would just like go crazy over costumes. He'd convince for his birthday, all he ever wanted were costumes and like outfits. And he would just obsess over the details. And like that passion just really shines in both this and the witch. Like, and it's not just the costuming and the set dressing, but it's like the accents and the language, the way people mm-hmm. speak. I remember watching The Witch and being like, I have, I just cannot understand what people are saying. I'm going to put on the subtitles and I turn on the subtitles and I'm just like, I still can't understand what they're saying because it was all <laughs> written in like legitimate 1600s, like old English, like Bible speak kind of stuff. But you get the gist in that movie. Like you can, mm-hmm. you can tell what they're saying without knowing exactly what the fuck they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Where this is, this is less because it's much more modern. Like the language is much clearer, but it has that same level of like authenticity and that accents and like polish. He even claims that the cutlery they use in the dinner scenes, he actually tracked down from a legitimate source, bait, like dating back to the era and like the time frame this movie was from and like from the same kind of like environment. So like this was real cutlery that, lighthouse keepers used in the 1800s that he mm-hmm. found for this movie and that's just a testament to just how much effort went into the authenticity of this movie mm-hmm. just on all fronts it's really it's it's just I, I don't know how many times we could say it but it's just really fucking yeah. good <laughs> yeah but anyways so back to the story um, they get stranded on the rock because of the storm after Robert Patton smashes that seagull. And um, he just really fucking loses his mind. He starts to see visions and of the mermaid. heavily drinking. Heavily drinking because they don't have drinking water, so they can only drink. 
which he, when they start at the start of the movie, Robert Pattinson sets up that he doesn't like to drink. Yes, I was about to say that. Because it seems he get you get the impression he's very kind of he has mental health issues and mm-hmm. is also and suffering from like PTSD of his own from his prior job and life um, that he's keeping res- secret to himself until later in the movie. And so when drinking alcohol is the only option, he does not take it very well. No, not at all. And then, <laughs> so, yeah, he uh, early in the movie has a nightmare where he sees a mermaid shortly after he discovers the little mermaid statue in his bed. And that like scares the shit out of him. And then as the movie goes on, he kind of becomes more desperate and horny. And there's like elaborate masturbation sequences where he's like having visions of now having sex with the mermaid and also starts to slowly become paranoid that Willem Dafoe is actually Poseidon. There's a lot going on. A lot all Uh, mashed together. Do you think Willem Dafoe planted that mermaid i don't think so i think I, I think that was actually whoever the last lighthouse keeper had there but you know fucking maybe i don't know because this all could be and this is my big theory about this movie i don't think this is legit but i think there's a lot of evidence for it i don't think this is exactly what i think though okay i okay. i i really like the idea that willem defoe um, that Robert Patterson is entangled in Willem Dafoe's very elaborate lie and very elaborate fiction um, where, you know, he talks about, um, you know, the previous lighthouse owner um, seeing oh. mermaids and fantasizing, but then Robert Patterson finds the mermaid and like, there's all these like little trails that like, like I said before, a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of happens. Yeah. Where Willem Dafoe maybe killed the other lighthouse keeper and is like created this internal logic, which recreates that scenario almost. I don't know. That's one way to look at it. Maybe Yeah. there's plenty in the movie that's, there's plenty of the movie that supports that. I don't think it's probably the legit one, but it's a fun. I'm so I'm so very keen to rewatch this movie now. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, and so pretty much tensions build. Robert Pattinson eventually does snap and kills Willem Dafoe. And then finally, long last, he climbs up the tower, the lighthouse tower, opens the door. The light then opens before him as he looks into it and he is blasted by light in this one, the most abstract scene in the movie, I think mm-hmm. where the fucking, I don't know how to explain it, how to verbalize this scene. I, I think it will do the scene injustice by trying to explain it because it, it's just kind of like the whole incredible. movie. It's just kind of like the whole movie buckles under this one mm-hmm. moment where he just mm-hmm. looks into this light and we just see his face as he looks into the light and the sud- like the the shot slowly brightens to the point where it's overexposed the like sh- it gets like the shutter speed cuts down the audio starts to just peek into this distorted like rumble as he just screams in like i can't tell if it's like ecstasy or fear before he slips and 
rolls down the fucking stairs like really badly just like tumbles all the way down the spiraling lighthouse and then cut to the next day or later hard to tell and robert pattinson is lying on the rocks barely alive he's being eaten alive by the seabirds and one of his eyes has been like plucked out and he's just slowly writhing unable to fight back and then credits happy movie Happy movie. Another another point uh, a friend at work brought up was... Um, oh no, actually, I, br- I fucking brought up... What am I saying? I said that backwards. Um, who's leaving misinformation now? Um, oh, who's Robert Patterson and who's Willem Dafoe in this situation? Is my friend at work even real? Are they you know. a mermaid? Hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah... Uh, so there was a theory I read that the whole that whole thing about the seabirds being the souls of dead sailors and the one seabird that is harassing him for most of the first part of the movie before getting smit, smooshed by Robert Pattinson is missing one eye. Mm. And then at the end of the movie, Robert Pattinson's lying, dying on the rocks, missing the same eye. Mm-hmm. And maybe his little seabird is his own soul trying to warn him. Uh, uh, that's a bit of a stretch. Or maybe yeah, it's that's just more a of sim- a, more of the supernatural kind of thing. But it's it's very like like it's very subtle little touch. Or, or it's more likely that it's just a symbol to say that everything he was that transpired was self destructive. That's a nice. T- that's a. Nice little interpretation yourself. I like that, actually. I like that a lot. This movie's um, so fucking subtle. What do, you th- what do you think happened to the, like, dinghy that they had that Robert Patterson was just like, fuck it, we've been here for so mm. long, I'm just going to go into the storm in this dinghy because what we see is Willem Dafoe yeah. come out with an axe and just like, don't you leave me, and just breaks it. Um, yeah, I was actually just about to bring up this scene next as well. But then Willem Dafoe, they meet up later and Willem Dafoe is like, what were you doing? You broke the ship, like the boat with an axe and then chased me. As an audience, you're like, that's not what we saw. Who's, yep. is he just fucking with him to like get more reactions? Or did Robert Patterson actually just chase himself and or... um. like reverse the roles in his head because one one good point about this movie and like about its like psychology as well is that they're both named tom yeah they both have the same name they find out later which is like a really good thematic touch about like self-destruction oh man this is such a good movie about self-destruction if you're looking at that one fuck this movie's good Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. I can't even think I'm really really struggling to even think of more to say about this movie. It was, Other than it's just really I good. I loved it. I How about we talk more about movie. how we started this movie about farts and shit. So, let's bring it back. <laughs> Our farts Full funny. Our farts funny Harrison I need a yes or I got need a yes or no answer. Uh, if Willem Dafoe does it, yes. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot we agreed on that. Mm. Good. Yeah, no, if Willem Dafoe does it, that's the answer. 
because um, there's a lot of scat humor in this movie. Yeah, there's a lot of farts. Apparently, a lot of them were real as well. Like Willem Dafoe actually farted, <laughs> which is great. <sighs> it's so good. Uh, even though this is a really dark movie, there are some funny moments. Oh, like, yeah. This movie's funny, really funny. When it needs to be, it's really funny. Just, I l- <laughs> I'm looking forward to the day where I cook something for someone and they don't like it. And oh. I can memorize that entire speech you should from Willem Dafoe. Yep, yeah, the Willem Dafoe. There's so many sequences in this movie where it's essentially like dinner time. And there's many of them throughout the whole movie. And it's just them sitting over dinner, talking to varying degrees of success as Robert Pattinson slowly kind of becomes more open and um, William Defoe slowly becomes more friendly. Um, And also they get increasingly drunker. Um, Just so many great back and forths between the two. They just lead to some of the best and funniest monologues and moments. Like I love all the little moments where they just like randomly start fighting and they just hard cuts and they're now just like, so, like slow dance cuddling. That was and, just one of the strangest scenes. <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah, just very effectively, very effective portrayal of like blind drunkenness. Mm. Oh. And the sea shanties. The sea shanties. And I love when they um when they first like homebrew their own beer and it's like fucking alcoholic slime and they both drink it and then just like a howl. Yeah. That's funny. And sad. Yeah. This will become an extremely quotable movie once people can I- <laughs> memorize it because <laughs> once all people the get the transcript. Sh- yeah. Because um, there's some good scenes that you can recreate in real life. Like I said, the di- like at dinner. Um <laughs> no, I can't wait to like memorize some of those speeches that you yeah. just whip out at any moment because they're so funny oh, and they're so, it's so good. Fucking good. I would highly recommend watching this movie with subtitles if you get the chance when it comes. Yeah, really? I think it's out. I think in most countries it's out. That's like, fucked on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever. Um, I wonder if Australia uh, has a date. Who knows? I'm but, checking yeah. it right Actually, now. Just like watch it with sub. Actually, no, no, no. It's weird. I don't know. Watch it with subtitles if you want, but um, maybe on the first viewing, don't just so you can really take it in visually because this movie is just like a visual fucking showcase. Well, there's yeah, already I'm a so- pre-order screen, so it's not That's too good. far away. But like, probably two months or so. I just like. I'm so glad this movie got nominated for an Academy Award for cinematography. Like, it's so undeniably good that even the Oscars couldn't ignore it. Like, they couldn't snub it on that one. I think it actually should have been for both performances should have got something. Yeah, I agree. I agree for that too. I'm glad at least it got some acknowledgement, you know? Like, I'm sad that it didn't win. Like, it's fair that it lost to 1917. It is, um, honestly. I, yeah, I just wish this movie got more cred and I'm glad that it got some. It gives me like hope, you know, for it's, the fucking Hollywood. It's got the long-term cred. This one's going to go down as a horror classic, even though it's not technically a horror. It it um, delivers to the same yep. sort of fans as horror does. Yeah, it's not like a, ooh, spooky, watch, watch the lighthouse on Halloween kind of horror. It's more like a, 
quietly alone at home at 2 a.m. kind of vibe. <laughs> you know? Um, this movie, the movie this reminds me the most of is The Shining, which is an extreme, like, ext- to be compared to that is like high yeah. praise. I can't believe how good Rod- Robert Eggers is as a director. Just like off the yeah. bat. He's done two like masterpiece movies. Like out I'm of nowhere. Lo- I'm looking forward to whatever he does next. I think the next one is The Northman. Yep. I'm keen for that. It's already my most anticipated movie of whatever the heck year that comes out. <laughs> I agree. This this dude knows what he's doing and I'm just keen to see whatever he does next. Yep. I'm, I, I think... I'm going to quickly look it up. The Northman. I think it was, it's a, it's a Viking revenge movie. I think it's what I was told. Oh, that's my jam. Yep. And you it's know just that's always, my jam. I know. And it's co-written by an Icelandic poet. Poet. I, I misread you. I fused his name in the word poet. A poet <laughs> and like novelist lyricist uh, who is Scandinavian who is co-writing the movie with him. That's going to be the best movie ever. His name is Sion, spelled S-J-O-N. I'm not pronouncing that right because it's Icelandic. But um, I'm so keen. Whenever the heck that, when when's that slate to come out? Oh, no, no, no date yet. There were, there was also rumors at one point he was working on a Nosferatu remake. I would prefer to see him do original content like he's yeah, been doing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That being he's said, got, I he's got such a unique no. voice. No, I would <laughs> fucking see it day one. Oh baby, <laughs> what a good movie! Mm. What check check it out. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else to say. I'm exhausted from praising so much. I'm, yep. <laughs> 